Kia ora and welcome to episode 29. Kanoa Lloyd started off as a kids TV presenter and is now one of very few wahine Māori to lead primetime television in Aotearoa. Using her platform to advocate for and address issues that affect many New Zealanders, Kanoa flows between waves of both public support and public criticism. In this episode, we talk about the joys and pains of being a wahine Māori in mainstream media. We learn about Kanoa's childhood and her whakapapa, she shares stories of the Indigenous women who inspire her most, and we laugh and cringe about all the keyboard warriors. Whakarongo mai. Kia ora, I'm Kiane. Nuku is a movement. We're empowering Indigenous wahine to be agents of change, cultivating opportunities to shape the world we want. Through this series, we're meeting 100 kick-ass Indigenous wahine doing things differently. They show us how the world can be shaped by our unique Indigenous voice. It's all about who we are and not who we've been told to be. Nuku, mahine, mohine, kiahine. Morena Kanoa. Morena Kiani. Thank you for inviting us to your whare today and for being one of our amazing Nuku Wahine. Thanks for having me. I'm like, yeah, I'm a bit nervous. I'm very honoured. Um, and I hope that you don't notice too much dust on this floor that we're sitting on because I definitely did not clean up before you came to this whare. Oh, no, that's all right. That's okay. I just won't look down. <laughs> um, it's funny that you're nervous because you work in an in occupation that um, requires you to be in front of a camera and a microphone and, and being part of an interview process every single day. I know. <laughs> and I'm constantly telling people, don't be nervous. There's nothing to be worried about, blah, blah, blah. And I mean it. Yeah. And I do... It's not that I don't trust you. <laughs> um, I just I make just, you nervous. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm just very good at... Um, I try and keep things contained and that means just kind of doing what I know until I feel comfy doing it, until it's repetitive enough that I don't have to think too hard about it. And then I'll go, oh, maybe I'll branch out and try this little thing. So, I mean, I think I've done one other podcast before so this is still very much in the unknown category for me <laughs> I'm like oh plus All I right. just everything I do I just want to get it right like I've just got the most type A personality you can imagine and I'm like am I going to say the words right is it going to be interesting it's <laughs> that kind of shit you know <laughs> people love you I promise you they'll want to listen to you maybe not after this <laughs> They get to learn the real kanoa. Um, so who is the real kanoa? Where where did you grow up? Where are you from? Um, so on my Māori side, on my papa's side, um, we're from Ruatoria. Um, and down the coast a little bit further uh, in a place called Tolaga Bay is where he met my mum. My nan was born in Tolaga Bay. Was she? Yeah. Oh, wow. I know. It's so... Um, yeah, it's 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 wild. The more that I start saying Tolaga Bay, the more I hear stories back about mm. it. Um, oh, no, mai. It's Tokumaru Bay is where they met. I was like, Tolaga. That's actually where, <laughs> that's actually where my um, papa's papa lived, was in Tokumaru Bay. But Tokumaru Bay is where um, my mum and dad met. And I was born in Gisborne Hospital. 
Um, but my mum is from, she's from Southland. She's from a place called Matoda that used to have a um, meat works and it's just a real Southlandy place. Um, and then she went to university for a little bit and then she met some cool people that were going for a surf up on the east coast in the North Island and she just touched <laughs> a ride up with them and fell in love with the place. Yeah. <laughs> and then at some party, I think they met each other and now I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, where do you fall in your siblings? Because you've got a few of them. Yeah. So, what number are you? Um, my papa is what uh, we like to call a hangy pants. Um, <laughs> so he's got six kids. Um, and my mum had me and my beautiful sister Ruby. So we're, we're a pair. And then there's an older pair. Um, and then a younger pair. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's oh. good. We've all got our person. Yeah. And we've all got our relationships in between us. Yeah. Yeah. And so did you grow up down in Gisborne and go to school down there? And Nah. So after, um, after my folks met, um, this is going to be like a little, because I'm still learning all this stuff. Hence the Tolaga Tokumaru mix-up. Um, and because it all happened when I was quite young. So I'll tell you what I think it is. And then my <laughs> mum will correct me later and be like, no, that is not the order it happened in. Um, but so we were around the coast for a couple of years. Um, my sister was born. And we spent some time in the Coromandel. Um, and then... When I was four, we moved down to Dunedin. I think this is right. Um, and then, so most of my growing up, I did between Dunedin and a place in central Otago called Cromwell, um, which is this, like, adorable farming it's kind of fruit. fruit. It's got the giant <laughs> it's got fruit. The giant oh, fruit. man, the fruit down there. Sometimes I dream of that fruit, like the sound of biting into a cherry from Cromwell. Like, it's really, mm. like, it's like a clicking sound. Um, but, yeah, so that's mostly where I went to school was Cromwell and then Dunedin. And then I moved up to Auckland when I was a grown-up for work. Wow. Yeah. And you started working quite young. Like you were in high school when you started broadcasting. Yeah, so the cool thing about being in a relatively small town like Dunedin is that um, everybody knows everybody and everybody hears about everything. So I was just like the usual show-offy kind of into theatre and into English and into choir and kapahaka. And when I heard about... Um, I think I heard through my drama teacher that there was this job audition for a kids' TV show that was made down there. It's not around anymore, but it was quite bomb at the time. It was called, <laughs> it was called Squirt, and um, they were using this really wild green screen technology where there was like a penguin called Spike, um, and he was um, made by like a puppet lady called Katie... Um, and he, I don't even, what do you call that? Like, it's the stuff that they do on Lord of the Rings, you know? Like, they put a weird CGI. suit on. Yeah. And that, it was a CGI penguin and a CGI fish. And so I went to this audition, like, hey, I'm Kanua. Um, and I just, like, really love TV and stuff. And it's just really <laughs> great. And um, I got a job as the um, movie reviewer on that show, which meant that once a week I got to go and watch... Um, like trailers of movies and say, this 
movie is going to be so interesting and you're going to love it and you should definitely watch it. Oh, so they didn't, they didn't take, like, you didn't go to the premiere of the actual movie, you no. just saw the trailer and no. then reviewed it. Nothing happened in Dunedin. There was no premieres the of movies. Tell all the kids it was going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was basically a mouthpiece for Disney. Um, <laughs> it was just a child labour. Um, but what, was, Did you have a favourite trailer? I honestly couldn't remember a single thing that I talked about. I really couldn't tell you. But from there, I kind of just met a lot of people and fell in love with, um, you know, all of the parts of what it takes to make a TV show, um, not just the CGI stuff, which clearly I still don't understand to this day. But, um, you know, there were writers and directors and producers and um, they were all just really cool, interesting people and they were grown-ups which you know I was like at that age I was just hungry for like cool adults that Mm. I wanted to be around and who I could be one day Um, and so I kind of got the bug then and we started doing more stuff the big the big trip to Hamilton to do the hot air balloon festival when I was like 16. I was like, sorry guys, I've just got to catch a plane for work, my TV job for work to Hamilton. Um, it was wild. I was just well, like, you know, you went from Dunedin to Hamilton. That that must have been wild. Yeah. Well, I because I don't think I'd been to Hamilton before then, and I was like, wait. So there's a place in New Zealand that doesn't have a beach. Like I couldn't, I could not understand it. Even at mm. 16, like. I mean, I probably should, but I was just like, oh, this feels funny. I need something to look at. Um, but, yeah, so that was when I got the bug. And I think most um, most people would have remembered you from Sticky TV. Yeah. Um, you don't go to what now? No, but everyone <laughs> says that. I'm like, you're talking about Siobhan Ruakere. <laughs> Very different people. <laughs> so didn't go to what now, which was the... Which was the the most known. Yeah. You went to Sticky TV, which was the competition. Yeah. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. Like, I definitely went to an audition for What Now, um, run by Jason Gunn, and that's when Tamati Coffee was there. And I remember he was, like, really busy, but he came out to say hi to this group of six people that were auditioning. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Tamati. <laughs> He's so cool. And Jason and you're Gunn. Bo- you're both now in such serious jobs. Because, and I mean this, I reckon children's television is like a kind of a university because you have to learn to do everything. Like you, by the time I left Sticky TV, which I moved up to Auckland for in my 20s, like I think it was about 22 or 23, it was about 10 years ago. Um, by the time I left Sticky, I'd directed, I'd written episodes, I'd um oh, I don't know, like I was set dressing and because we all were, you know, Mm. and you're carrying cables and you get a real understanding. It's a real small team of what every single person's trying to achieve. And, um, yeah, it's just this stuff that I learned there, which I'm still using. It's great great learning. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Have you had a favourite um, broadcasting job because I know we've talked a bit about the the kids TV stuff but you've mm. also worked in news mm-hmm. and you've done radio mm-hmm. and you're now on the project do you have a, a favourite? Um, well I think the move to news was the most important for me um, 
because I sort of got to a point where I was um, afraid that my brain was shrinking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And with no, well, with a little bit of disrespect, I guess, to my commercial radio colleagues, there wasn't anybody in that in that world that I was having those I want to be you when I grow up thoughts about like I was when I was Mm. doing kids Um, but the people that I was looking to going oh my god was John Campbell and Hilary Barry and Mike McRoberts and Sam Hayes and um, yeah just purely by chance I met this guy through my husband having a beer and we just hit it off like at the pub And about six months later, he must have remembered me. He worked at TV3, and when this job came up for a weekend with the presenter, he was like, you need to go and audition for that. And I was like, hello, I can't quite remember your name, but yes, thank you. (laughs) Um, And so I did, I went to this audition and um, was just straight up about the fact that I wanted to be like (laughs) Mike McRoberts when I grew up. Like I, I wanted to make a bit more of a serious change. And luckily they took me in and saw something in me, but fuck, it was hard. <laughs> like it was, if, if kids TV was university for my job, then I think news really was like that feeling when you move out of your flat and you or move out of your home and you go into the real world. Like it was just so confusing and... Um, I didn't feel like I belonged there in any way, shape or form. I didn't really know what it was that I wanted to do. Like, and like I said, I, you know, I want to do everything right. So I really wanted to get this weather right. And I really wanted the news people to not just think like, oh, who's this random chick from (laughs) Kids TV who's like come to do this thing. But then you... I'm just, you know, you say you want to get things right, but you chose weather, <laughs> weather presenter, and the weather presenter's always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not so, my I fault. I know that that was a good choice, Cunnell. <laughs> it's Met Services' fault. Like, I actually can't, I, oh God, I, it was more accurate than I would ever be. The truth is I don't know anything about weather. I just, you know, you just study up on the resources that you're given mm. and then spit it out. Did you... You you talked about feeling like you didn't quite belong. Yeah. Um, was there a particular reason, as a as a Maori woman, was that part of the reason, or was it more so that it was because you were a, had come from maybe a less serious um, broadcasting area mm. into these very staunch serious yeah. news roles yeah um you know what was it that made you feel like you didn't belong in that space well I think at the time I would have said it was because of my background and all these amazing people doing important stuff that I didn't know how to do um but looking back I was the only Maori woman in that room mm. um and they were like the guy who hired me was honest about the fact that they had a real lack of diversity in that newsroom. That it's not un- it's not unique to three. There's mm. <laughs> point me out the other ones. Yeah. Um, and so I sort of knew that. Um, you know, I had that in the back of my head, but that didn't feel like the reason. Um, but fast forward to where I am now, 
and I'm really struggling with that now. Like it's be, like literally being the only Māori in the village sometimes. Um, yeah, retrospectively, I feel like that must have played a huge part in my feeling of discomfort and um, not belonging. Mm. When I um, when I see you on television now, and I've met you before this, and we've had a number of conversations outside <laughs> of this interview, um, but when I purely just see you on TV, I really feel for you sometimes because you can see that you're the only person that sits on that panel mm. that has the view that you have mm. or that has um, that has a real understanding of some of the topics that you guys discuss, mm. particularly when it comes to um, racism, when it comes to Māori rights and issues, when it comes to systemic racism and issues, um, when it comes to discussions around diversity in Aotearoa, when it comes to discussions around privilege. And you, do you feel it's your job to really advocate for the, the marginalised voice when you're in those discussions with a panel of people that don't look like you <laughs> or sound like you mm. or have a life experience that you have? Um. I'm weirdly getting, because I'm getting quite emotional you asking that question because this is something that I'm really um, struggling to, like, I don't know what the straight up answer is to that. The answer is it's really hard. Mm. Um, and that I do feel a sense of responsibility to our people, to people that are like me, Um but it also costs a lot. Yeah. Um, and so figuring out how to protect myself and create boundaries so that I'm strong enough to do the important stuff is a real challenge. Um, and yeah, it's it can feel pretty lonely sometimes. Um and it's something I'm thinking about a lot more this year because I'm just like, honestly, like the stuff that we're up against, the voices that we're up against, I'm just like, fuck, is there any point in what I'm doing? Mm. Um, yeah. And I'm saying that, like I said to you, I'm feeling a bit, I'm crying now. Like I'm saying that from a place of feeling a bit vulnerable at the moment and I'm feeling a bit protective and maybe kind of looking at it in a, you know, through a bit of a, a, a negative prism at this time in my life. So I don't want to say, is there any point and for that to be the final word on it, um, but that's how I feel at the moment. But it's not always easy and it's not always glamorous. And I think um, there is a perception that when you work in television, it is this very glamorous job and... and you know, you're living a, a, a higher life and you get invited to these fancy parties. And, and you, I do, by and, the way. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to wear these pretty dresses and all of those things are true. Um, but it's also hard. And I've seen, um, I've seen how ugly online trolls are and can be. And um, 
I've seen that for you in particular. I've seen you advocate on certain issues and I've seen you just get slammed. Mm. And um, it does take a lot of strength and resilience. And it's not... I think what we need to remember is... um, that, you know, you are only human. <laughs> oh, God, I wish, I wish, I wish people would remember that. You are only but human. But also, you know, like, I get it right, because, like I say, those um, privileged things that you talk about, like, I, like, I have come into, I certainly didn't come from, but I have come into enormous privilege. Like, I own my car for the first time in my life. We own this house that we're sitting in. Like, all these firsts are happening for me and, and um, you know, I've got really solid friendships and all of this good shit and, and stuff that happens because of the show. You know, I got to meet Lizzo a couple of weeks ago. Like, <laughs> and give her bloody cheese rolls. <laughs> right, watch that episode. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I'm not saying that the amazing stuff isn't there. Mm-hmm. So I get why people from all sorts of backgrounds, both... Um, you know, Māori, people of colour, white supremacists, bloody Terry from the farm in Taranaki. Like, <laughs> I get why it probably feels okay to tell me what they don't like about me because they assume that um, because I've got all of the stuff that comes with some sort of special armour or something that mm. means that when you call me a silly bitch or when you tell me to shut the fuck up, like, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it really does. And I can shrug off most of it, but it's the um, it's stuff that's said to me just because I'm a woman and just because I'm Māori that really, like, that stuff takes a lot longer to heal from Mm. because it speaks to this old thing (laughs) um, that I think a lot of Māori women have um, it's reinforcing some sort of like shame and um, disconnection that we have from colonisation right so when you tell me I'm shit (laughs) because I'm a Māori woman Mm. Um, there is a part of me that believes that because I've been conditioned to believe that. So while my intellectual brain understands that it's just as stupid as saying, like, I don't like your shoes, it feels a lot harder to recover from that stuff. And it's a lot harder to... um, Not just... It's it's not about just shrugging it off, but... I've talked about this a few times where you then feel you have to go above and beyond to prove that you're not those things. And so as a a Māori woman or as an Indigenous woman, you're working twice as hard Mm. because you're not only working at the same level and capacity as your peers, but you also have the sense of having to prove that you're just as good Mm. because it's been built into the system that... Māori women are stereotypically not as good. Mm-mm. And so we have to somehow prove that we're just as good, if not better. Yeah. And so we're working five times as hard as our colleagues. Yeah. Because they can, you know, they don't they don't have anything to prove. They're the normal. Yeah. 
And you see that kōrero happening between Indigenous people all over the world, right? That that idea of having to work twice as hard to get half as much is like, mm. you know, I, I see people talking about that all the time. And, you know, and still, still, I have been in rooms where, like, you know, we have a young Māori woman on the show and someone as a way of saying thank you to her and good job, we go, you speak so well. Mm. Like, that's... A surprise? You speak so well. There's a there is a podcast that's called Pretty for an Aboriginal. Oh wow, really? Which is that exact notion? Like yeah. you speak so well for, for a Maori. Yeah, like, yeah, for an yeah. Aboriginal, for a Maori, yeah. for a whatever. Yeah. And it's it's fuck it irks me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. Like after the um like after the fires over there, um it's really interesting. I'm really waking up to our connection to the Indigenous people of Australia and sort of looking for more information and more different voices from over there. Because I found myself, I started reading a book over the summer that was Australian and I was like, oh, surprise, surprise, the existence of Indigenous people does not exist in this universe. Mm -hmm. And this was while the, the worst of the fires was happening and I just had to put the book down like it just made me so angry and I've been to Queensland a couple of times in the last couple of years and far out like I am invisible there I'm invisible or I am shit and it's a really interesting thing for me to me to experience because here it's hard for me to tell how much of it is from people that sort of know me from watching the telly or how much of it is um you know just because we're doing a bit better here, but I've not really had the experience of being ignored in a restaurant or, um, you know, being followed around a shop, which Mm. I do when I'm in Queensland. Um, So, yeah, I'm like, hmm, need to make some connections with those cousins and learn some more about that, because, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's like we go to the... um, if my husband and I fly, he's Tongan, yeah. and he always gets stopped at the airport. So always in Australia, hands down, yeah. he will just he'll just be prepared. So he'll just be like, "You take this bag, and I'll take this bag because they're gonna stop me." And the one that I have to unpack the least amount of things out of yeah, is yeah. the easiest one to get us through. And, and that's the working twice yeah. as hard thing. That's yeah. the working five times as hard thing that you have to think mm. about that going into those spaces. Um, one of the things that you do outside of broadcasting is that you are an ambassador for Women's Refuge. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved and, and why you got involved? Yeah. I am going to be a bit careful about how I talk about this because I've been much more open in the past and um, that's really painful for um, people in my life. Mm. So I have been in refuge um, as a kid and um, I can't, I honestly can't remember where they first reached out to me, but it might have been um, while I was working at um, the news, uh, stuff was going on with Tony Veach, who'd come out and said again, like... Oh, poor me. 
Um, why is everybody being so mean to me? My foot was really sore from kicking her in the back down the stairs. Yeah, man. And like, I, so, and and this was kind of the, the guts of this piece was that I fully believe that people can change, that people can learn, that no person is just bad, Mm. that they have the capacity to become better. But that starts by saying sorry, and that starts by acknowledging the hurt that you've inflicted on other people, and and that man has never done that. Um, So I spoke about that, and um, from there, Women's Refuge got in touch with me at some point um, and it was important to me because there is a misconception all over the world um, but especially here I think we're kind of we were a bit backwards about some things that um, people who experience people who experience and people who perpetrate domestic violence are brown, poor, on drugs, tied up with gangs. Mm. And um, while some of those things are true, and while I don't believe that those things are any reason for people not to have help and refuge and rehabilitation, it's only part of the story. And that shit is happening in every Mm. neighbourhood. Like... It's perpetrated by every kind of person. Um, and, you know, it's not just one of those brown people issues that, yeah, they're just fucking doing it to each other and we can mm. just ignore it. Yep. Um, they need to talk to their own leaders to sort that out amongst themselves. <laughs> That's the go-to line. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what are their iwi doing about yeah, it? They've all had treaty settlements, they've got enough money. Yeah, Why aren't they yeah. sorting it out? <laughs> Um, so it was really important to me just to, <clears throat> to to kind of use this platform that I've got just to, you know, if one person looks and goes, oh, hey, she's on the TV and she's, you know, been part of that system. Um, yeah, if that means something to someone, cool. Hmm. And if it doesn't, it's not doing any harm. So <laughs> what can we do to help? Um, women's refuge is there anything we can do practically you know if somebody's listening that says you know what I want to kind of was advocating for this <laughs> and I I believe her yeah. so I want to somehow help what's one of the practical ways that people might be able to help well it's really boring but the most useful thing you can do is to commit to a small manageable, sustained donation over time because like every charitable organisation um, you're hoping and praying for fundraisers and mm. you know events and things to like give you some cash but if, I don't know if 50 people listening now could commit to 2 bucks a week or 5 bucks a week or 20 bucks a week that makes a real difference. And there are always, always really cool, like, projects going on within communities. Um, we're actually working on one at the moment at the project, which we'll probably have finished by the time you're listening to this, but um, it's this thing um, started by Grace Mullane's family in the UK, and then we're kind of doing the New Zealand version here, um, taking unwanted handbags filled with, like, 
toilet paper, no, not toilet paper, toothbrushes and soap and just nice stuff that you would want because women always pack for their kids and never pack for themselves Mm. and that's especially true when they're escaping violence and they've got 15 minutes. That's about the average time that you've got if you are finally going to make the move. So you don't take any of that stuff. Um, So we're kind of doing this campaign around the whole country. There's this awesome group in Taupo that have been doing that connected to Grace Malone for the last couple of months and there are people that are doing that for other organisations as well. So just looking around in your community and and, um, looking for those opportunities. Um, Yeah, like imagine getting a bag of chapstick and deodorant and like a nice moisturiser to put on your face. Yeah. Something you always need. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes you feel good. It does. Like some wet wipes and some deodorant. Oh god, yeah. Makes you feel good. And just that idea that at some point, I have no idea who this person was, but at some point someone put these things into this bag with love Mm. and said in a silent way like you're important and you deserve these nice things Mm. like that's that's the most powerful thing um one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today and it was something that you made a story out of was (laughs) um you tracing your whakapapa oh yeah and that I already mucked up (laughs) (laughs) that's okay because there are a lot of people I think um you know when we talk about we talk about the diversity of women. Mm. We also talk about the diversity of Indigenous women mm. and then the diversity of Māori women. Mm. And as Māori women, when we're all different. Mm. Um, some of us are um, <laughs> live in their papakainga, mm. two doors next door to their marae, and <laughs> <laughs> have spent their entire life mm. embedded in their whakapapai. <laughs> and, you know, the stresses that come with that. <laughs> and then there are... <laughs> And then there are some women who have had a more urban upbringing and a loose connection to where they're from. And there are others who are just learning about that mm. as they're getting older. And mm. all of those things, none of them are, are better or worse than the other. They are all different. Mm. And um, I really enjoyed watching your story, um, reconnecting with who you are and, and you know, going on to your marae and um, just discovering these parts to you that you didn't know or have connection to previous and I wanted I just wanted to ask you how did that feel and how has it continued to feel as you've continued to grow that knowledge and connection yeah back to who you are (laughs) so that whole story getting it together coordinating all the stuff behind the scenes shooting it, putting the pictures together was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. In some ways, um, like how hard it was with work just for a bunch of technical and very boring reasons was kind of a good distraction from how hard it was for me personally. Um, Yeah. And it was actually when the cameras stopped rolling, um, you know, got to go and see this amazing Farenui in Chicago, got to meet the Fano who, um, you know, 
whakapapa to that to that Whareanui and sort of the kaitiaki of it on the other side of the world. Um, got to go back to the place where my mum and dad met um, and meet some whanaunga. Um, but after we turned the cameras off the next day, um, my dad and my brother and his wife and his kids and my sister, who had all come to um, me through that time, we went to my nana's house, which is in Tupato, which is a little bit further up. Um, she's not around anymore. And when I say house, it's just a shed on the farm. Mm. Um, and got to stand under the maunga where, um, where she is. And um, we put my niece's whenua in the ground there. Oh. And... Um, got in the river and um yeah like that was the that was the real homecoming for me the work that I did I'm really proud that I did that because I keep on hearing from people who are like whoa like this has really inspired me to make the same thing and that like going through all that pain and choosing to sort of like tear the strip off myself and offer it up for my work mm. became worth it because it I know that it meant something to people and because I got to connect with with those people in Tokamaru Bay but that experience of actually just going and being on my whenua with my whanau um yeah that was it was magical like it was honestly magical the I don't know it just it woke something up in me and um has continued to um inform the things that I do back here um it's Sparked these relationships. Like I think I met you after that. I met um, this awesome woman called Tweety Waititi, who has become a, like a friend and mentor and um, a really powerful connection to Rio. Um, I've met like this other amazing group of women that were like in this WhatsApp group and we just send each other messages like, this just happened to me today, is this shit? <laughs> or like, you're doing amazing, sweetie, yes, queen. <laughs> All these things have happened um, after, after that, taking that journey. So while it was painful, all of these kind of like related but not related things have started to come into my life. What I wish I had known before I went and what I've been thinking about a little bit more, um, I actually listened to um, Stacey and Scotty Morrison talking on this other podcast about how we've lost the ability. If you don't have the real, you probably don't have the ability to karakia. And um, I reckon I badly needed that. Coming mm. off the whenua and then back into this, like world I just did not know like it actually kind of spun me out for a while like I was like like a cicada would fly at me and I was like is that a toe like I was just like it was buzzy mm. um and so I mean I I did what I know which is to go to therapy and you know I've worked quite carefully through all of that stuff but um again even just like listening to that I messaged Stacey going oh my god I love this 
I love what you guys are saying. But um, now I'm kind of um, a bit more awake to those sorts of ideas that like, hey girl, if you just do a karakia before you come back into the city and back to your job, you probably won't feel so buzzed out. Yeah, um, helps to settle you and, and ground you. Yeah. Um, the Some other things that I've learnt, um, you know, because... <laughs> In my life, I transition into quite some quite extreme spaces. Yes, you do. <laughs> um, and then do still have to come home and, and can still be carrying quite some real heavy stuff. Um, and so a couple of things that uh, a really beautiful um, wahine had shared with me was to take your bloody shoes off <laughs> and go and stand outside on the whenua on any whenua, so long as you're physically connecting to Papatua Naku, and just be in that, and, and you know, they say ground yourself, it literally is grounding yourself, but it's it's kind of feeling that um, that real aroha from the whenua and, mm. and, and settling you down, and I think, you know, we talk about it in this real philosophical way, bringing you back to earth, and <laughs> all of these sorts of things, but actually it's true. Yeah. Like these are these are things that Māori have done forever, mm. and they've also become sort of this new wave <laughs> of, you know, frou-frou kind of living. But actually, it's part of our ancient traditions to be able to do, you know. Do you know that's one of the last things my nanny said to me before she died? She said, "Take your bloody shoes off, girl." <laughs> and sometimes I hear her saying it to me again. So it's really nice to, yeah, to. Okay, there was a tohu. Nanny just visited. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Take your bloody shit off. <laughs> um, what else? What else can I do? I always so the thing that I love, and I actually I did this yesterday. Um, uh, my two friends staged an intervention. <laughs> <and> <laughs> did this for me yesterday. Um, is I always I need a pure, so I need to go to the water and I need to cleanse. And um, if you're wanting to. I think I've talked about this on this podcast before. Hmm. If you're wanting to do it in the, you know, the best way, yeah. <laughs> any way is a good way, but if you're wanting to get everything aligned, yeah. then often you will do it on um, a federal day on the Maramataka. Uh-huh. So that's your lowest energy day or on a Rakaunui day, which is your highest energy day. So that's the full moon and the no moon. Yeah. Um, you would do it on an outgoing tide mm-hmm. because then Tangaroa and Hine Moana is taking it with, you know, taking it away from you and out yeah. into the sea. Um, and you would do it completely naked. Mm. <laughs> Easy to do in Auckland. Yes. And so the, that's, that's one way. Um, and there is there is ritual and there is ceremony and there is karakia that can accompany that if you want to. Um, but for me personally, I just get into water mm-hmm. and I, it has to be moving water. Mm-hmm. So it's not a pool. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going into a pool. So yesterday um, I went out to Piha and put my feet in the in the ocean and then just really needed a swim. Mm. And I'm not, I'm a, I'm a great swimmer, but I don't like swimming at Piha. Yeah. <laughs> and so then um, we went to this, uh, you know, amazing waterfall and I went to a part of the river where it was, it was running through. Yeah. So it wasn't just, you know, the pool. Mm-hmm. It was still running and just immersed myself in the cold water and got all the, you know, all that negative energy mm-hmm. off me, froze it out of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, got it all off and, and felt much better. Yeah. Um, it doesn't completely take it away. Like, you know, there's still lots, 
you got to work through afterwards, but just to feel lighter mm-hmm. and a bit better and to just reconnect with you mm. and reconnect with the tile around you. Yeah. Um, those are some of my things yeah. that I do. And I think especially when, you know, some really heavy stuff goes down, you've got some quite life-changing things, like you're just having a fight with the government. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, those things help me stay a bit more sane mm. and not go completely overboard crazy yeah. Um, yeah. which can also happen yes. which is why it wasn't intervention and not so much <laughs> my choice <laughs> have those people that know you really well to go girl yeah. tomorrow you are not working you are going to the beach yeah yeah <laughs> um the it, with with reconnecting with your papa mm. and your whenua, has that reconnected you with your real journey? Are you, um, w- you know, are you, do you have steps in place where you're learning more te reo? Um, no. Is it an ambition? <laughs> it's, such, it's bloody hard, eh? Well, okay, so <laughs> it is really hard. And what I'm... so. The reason I met Tweety was because she was the real consultant on this show that I did last year, which is about Fano moving from like big, like big cities to little places. You know, moving into a mm. tiny house or a caravan that was going around the country, and it had to Mangai Pahu funding, which is awesome, um, but meant that it needed a lot of real. <laughs> um, so Tweety was with me. Um, and helping me with that and helping me through all my like guilt and weirdness of like everyone's gonna know that I'm not doing it properly and everyone's gonna criticize me um but that was a really cool um confidence booster for what I do know but I'm quite hungry for like getting in a group and learning real like I've done I've done the courses, like, in my 20s, I think I've done two through Te Arareo Māori um, and, oh, through to the Wānanga, I mean. And I, can, I know I can do those again, but they're all in the evening when I'm at work. Exactly. I this looked is, up. This I is look, my issue. Yeah. I think we need to start this group. We do. <laughs> we really do. Can we please? Because I looked up the... Um, I looked up the, Googled, Māori classes Auckland morning, and the only one that came up was um, in Parnell, and it was, as far as I'm I could sorry, tell... I'm sorry, I just had to laugh, because that's not the place where I thought it would be. As far as I could tell, the kayako is a Pākehā fella. Oh, um, cool. Okay. I mean, I I did try and do. I was like, Kanoa, don't you just be assuming because of someone's name and their skin colour that they don't fuck a papa back to like somewhere, somewhere. But I did do a bit of a dive, and I do not think he does. Mm. Yeah, not the best option. So that's not really what I'm after. Like, cool for him, and actually cool for that community. Like, awesome. Mm. But that's not what I want. I want to just like get in a group of people and. I don't know. I, I like. I just want to listen to people call it a Maori. I want to like because I get really excited when I can understand what people are saying, which is happening more and more now. 
Um, but and then I wanna... it's getting the sentence structure right when you say it. Oh, yeah. I haven't even started thinking about sentence structure. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, oh sorry. Now I've just put that on you. No, Kanoa, it's fine. You're amazing. Your sentence structure is awesome. You have nothing to worry about. <laughs> shit. Jeez, I'm a shit <laughs> Trying to amp you up here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, yeah, just putting it out there. Totally keen to start this group. Yes, let's and do it. I've, I always wanted to do one-on-one Māori tutoring. Yeah. Um, only because I couldn't find the time. Uh, I've got a two-year-old. Mm. I can't do evenings. Mm. Like, that's just not practical. And um, I know people are like, oh, that's just an excuse. I'm like, no, but I, I you know, yeah. I really want to learn to do Māori and I actually really want it to fit in with my lifestyle. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. Because then I will really put all my 100% effort into it if it becomes hard. Like, if it's hard for me to have to show up to a class yeah. at a time that's not good, yeah. then the whole thing becomes hard. I know. And then you don't put your 100% into it. It's like going to the gym. Like, if you, it's too hard that I'm never coming back, mm. which is why I only go once a week to this nice <laughs> lady that's really nice to me. <laughs> and why somehow, since I started, I've gained even more weight. <laughs> uh, whatever. It's, you know... I'm not there for yeah. I'm not there for the gains. I'm there for the <laughs> nice feeling in my brain. Yeah. Um. You talked a little bit about Tweety Waititi. Mm. Who are some other um, Indigenous wahine that inspire you or that kick your ass? Or that, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That 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 give you a bit of something. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is just because. I work in the media. It probably is. But my people that I look up to are other women in the media. Um, like I mentioned, Stacey Morrison. I Like, she's so good for a message and a question or, like, hey, I've got this idea. Or, like, the fact that that woman does so many jobs and has so many kids and still has the time to message back on Instagram is absolutely mind-blowing to me. Like, are you doing this, like, while you're driving? Like, it's just, but she's always, always there to listen. And, um, you know, because she is so successful and so Māori, if I can put it that way, unapologetically Māori, you know, she takes up space and she is herself and she wears high heels and is still Māori and is still embraced by a Pākehā world, like, that's goals, you know? That's really impressive. And she learnt to do Māori as a young adult. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but I think sometimes we get a bit intimidated by people who have such beautiful deal that we think they've been, you know, born and bred into it. But one of her lovely... One of her stories that's, you know, really lovely for those of us who are still on our real journey is totally. that she was in a very similar position. Yeah. And now she's the goddess of Te Reo Māori and married <laughs> to the god of Te Reo Māori. So I know, the absolute goats. Um, but, yeah, you're right. That is a really, that is a really cool, a cool part of that. Um, another woman who I just adore is Miriam Akamo, who just randomly reached out to me um, because because she was emceeing this corporate event and this man came up to her afterwards and said, 
I just wanted to say I really love your work on the project. And she's like, we're two different Māori women. And we'd never met before. Um, but she just thought that was really funny and just reached out to me. And um, I was like, whoa, flattering that someone thinks I'm Miriam McCumble, this woman who's, like, been in this mahi for 20 years, who's just, like, beautiful and intelligent and does all these amazing stories. I was like flattering for me thank you very much <laughs> um and then through that she's like do you want this is one of those things that happened after I went home do you want to go and get a coffee because I know that it can be really hard to be a Maori woman in this mm. in this space if there's anything you ever want to talk about like she hadn't even finished writing the thing and I was like yes I do want to go and get a coffee with you please <laughs> um and so yeah she's just like a wicked woman who and then she's also made this real effort to connect me with other Wahine Māori, um, like Kitty Nathan, who is just funny and amazing and just designs Oscar's dresses, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> whatever, Kitty. <laughs> we love you. Um, and um, even like one of my neighbours down here who works with um, works with Miriama, uh, I think they work on Sunday together. Um, her partner's Māori and she literally just lives like four houses down the road just like you guys should meet just this really lovely like Mm. wrapping around and um, solidifying of this um, Māori foundation that I'm starting to put work into she's, Miriam has very much been like you can't do that by yourself (laughs) Um, so here's some ideas Um, so yeah it's been awesome awesome I'm just reading some notes and I asked you a question prior to us meeting today that said, how are you changing the world? And your answer is, trying not to be an asshole. <laughs> I like that. Because is just, it makes it really hard to change the world when you're an asshole. Yeah. Um, there are some of those leaders around the world at the moment. <laughs> but I think that trying not to be an asshole for Karo, even though I'm being a little bit smart, is like I actually do really believe in that because I think we all can get caught up in like negative self-talk and this idea that like I'm not doing enough, I'm not enough, oh, I'm not actually changing the world but so long as the, the places that you go into, the places that you're invited into, you don't leave it any worse than it was mm. when you arrived. Like you go in there open-minded, you don't break anything or upset anyone. Then that's actually a gentle way of changing the world, I think. And if you're changing little parts of your world, mm. all those little parts connect with other people's little parts and it makes big change. Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah. One one question that I wanted to ask was, what's a crazy but true fact about you? What is it that we don't know about you, Kanoa Lloyd? <laughs> There's so reveal, much. reveal. There's so we much. We all want the juicy gossip. I know, but then I'm scared that I'll like say it here and then randomly some <laughs> random from stuff will be listening. Like, oh, news. did you know that she was born a man? Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, um, what is, I'm not very crazy, I'm quite boring. Um, what's, what's what a, would you, what would you be like buzzed out about if you thought it was true about me? Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know actually. Yes, I've had a threesome, fine. <laughs> Who hasn't? <laughs> 
You heard it here first, people. <laughs> Kia ora matata sifu, nuku news. <laughs> Put that on your front page, the newspaper. Um, well, that's enough. That's cool. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Was it fun? No. <laughs> See, these are the, this is the corridor that Nuku brings out in people, is that we just, now people are sitting there going, fuck, is she telling the truth? Like, I don't, was that a joke? Is it the truth? You will never know. Correct. You will never know. But next time you see Kanoa on the project, <laughs> just have that in the back of your mind. Not in the front. That's, no, stop. Stop it. Yeah, we've stop got it. more important things to think about. <laughs> um, can you tell me... What is your hope for the future of Indigenous women? Um, more connection. The more I am um, making connections with other Indigenous people, the more I'm finding how powerful and essential that is. And obviously that's what Nuku is about. Um, and I just, yeah, I'm hungry for more of that. And I love it when I see that. And I think more connection leads to the other really important thing, which is more visibility. Mm. Like, it's almost become a cliche to say, like, I want more diversity and visibility because we are constantly banging our heads against a brick wall, asking for it, asking for it, working really hard for it. Um, but, yeah, I'm just going to try not to be... <laughs> to go back to an earlier part of this corridor, I'm going to try really hard not to be disheartened by the lack of it and still believe that it's an achievable thing. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> <laughs> I, what I see out of you is bravery. Um, and I think in the earlier part of this conversation, we talked about the difficulties of, of doing what you do. Mm. Uh, surrounded by white men mm-hmm. um, <laughs> who are actually the ones that you're surrounded by are not as bad as what you could be surrounded by let's be honest yeah and please like <laughs> let me say that it's I, not about them as individuals no it's definitely <laughs> not like I'm very I'm given a lot of space so this is actually one thing that I do want to quickly mention because it's just come up recently that I am given space and support to talk about these things by those particularly white men in my life as much as possible and um, I think sometimes people mistake them giving me space as them not supporting me mm. because on our show that just means that I talk now and then they throw it at the break right um, and so I think that could easily be mistaken for them not being there for me but they very much are what is you know, and they're listening and they want to learn, but but what is difficult is that, like, they will literally ask me questions about, like, me too, or, um, yeah, about racism or whatever, and I'm, like, really pumped that they're open to learning, but sometimes it gets tiring too. Yeah. Yeah. I Jeremy Corbett said something, um, you had done a piece, I can't remember if it was about Yuhumata or if it was about another Māori issue. Mm. <laughs> it was a Māori issue. Yeah. And it was possibly a Māori female issue. Mm. And um, I think it, it like went to him to say, what do you think? And he said, I'm a, I'm a white man and I don't, I 
because of that, I shouldn't even have an opinion. Mm. And him just saying that, I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> Thank you. The fact that you're not saying anything and then saying why you're not saying anything is all I needed to hear. Yeah. Just, I don't care about your opinion. Which is, you know, on this particular topic, don't have an opinion. You're not entitled to one. And the fact that you recognise that is awesome. Thank you very much. There is a lot of learning going on. And look, I might ring you up after this and ask you to take it out but even Mark Richardson is doing a lot of learning having to sit next to me once a week like I have noticed a huge change in him I think he's kind of messed that up again this morning or yesterday morning I've just seen another headline of him having a rant but I I can literally feel him holding back on some things and asking questions and I think actually the the rising status of te reo Māori, like he will often ask me how to pronounce a Māori word and last and week he awesome. was, it's awesome and he was really pumped to tell me that his son has just um, started learning Māori at his school um, so yes there's a lot of <laughs> hōha that comes mm. from that man <laughs> um, but I'm privy to a lot of other stuff that's going on as well. So, yeah. Mm. No one, no one's, no one's just a bad person. No one's just what they say in their work. <laughs> She's doing that. <laughs> Maybe I'm pulling, some. I'm pulling faces, but I'm not going to name names. <laughs> um, where to next for Kanoa? Yeah, it's a really normal question. I don't mean that, like, because possibly the channel's going to be different, (laughs) but more so in your life. Yeah. I walked in here today, I met your lovely husband, I met your amazing dog. Oh, yeah, sorry, it's really loud when he first meets people. And your fluffy cat. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I just... What's, Are you asking me if I'm going to have kids? No, I, no, I'm actually not because I hate it because it took my husband and I 14 years to have a baby and I fucking hated it when people asked me when I was going to have kids. Yeah. So I'm definitely not asking you that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking you, like, this is your life now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, are you going to move to Rio de Janeiro? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Where to next, Wakanoa? Do you know what? Like, I have worked out that a lot of my... Because I get really bad anxiety sometimes, right? And I've worked out that a lot of that is because I'm constantly thinking, where to next, where to next, where to mm. next? And over the summer, I've been having lots of conversations with my lovely husband and with my family about just, like, staying in the moment and appreciating it. Um, which... Oh my god! If last year me was listening to someone say this in the podcast, I'd be like, "Oh, shut up, boring." <laughs> but it's there's what I'm really trying to do is to just keep coming back and go far out. Like, look where I am, look what I've got. Because yeah, it might all change. Like, my job is a crazy job where shit changes all the time and you can't control it. Um, and so I'm just trying to be really true to where I am right now and. Enjoy that for what it is, because change is inevitable. Thank you for sharing with us today. Um, And thank you for your honesty. I know for someone who has a high profile, it is quite hard to 
be you. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I'm, I don't mean to be cardinal, <laughs> but I mean to show who you are to the public mm. because it's so often scrutinised. Yeah. Um, and so I just do want to thank you for sharing and... Uh, you're fucking awesome, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the opportunity. Like, I, yeah, it's been really awesome to um, to be a part of this project and to have this conversation. Um, and if you are listening, please don't tell stuff that I've had a threesome or that I said fuck a couple of times. Thanks. <laughs> My question is, was it two boys or two girls? <laughs> Have a good day, and uh, we're now going to go and take some awesome photos and, and make you extra pretty. <laughs> awesome. Kakiti. Kakiti.